I told you that I was going to teach a series, um, a Christmas series, and uh, I'm excited to do so. I uh, also uh, promised uh, uh, some of my old Dumoldi friends that I would preach some new or teach some new. So um, this is the first time I've ever taught this lesson, and I'm calling it The Holidays. And no, you do not have notes, but you do have a little worksheet we're going to work through later, but... Thinking about Christmas, and, and I often get asked this, you know, you're at a Christmas party or somewhere, and somebody says, well, what was your, the, your favorite gift, the favorite gift you ever got? So I, I've spent some time thinking about that, and, and I, I, I can tell you exactly what it was. It was third grade, third grade Christmas. We were in Hawaii. We lived in a Quonset hut. Do you know what a Quonset hut is? A tin, round-roofed uh, house. Uh, you know, literally looks like a half of a circle with, with corrugated tin on the top. Plenty of room for the roof rats to run back and forth in. My mom used to name them. Oh, there's Fred running through. But, um, you could hear them but not actually see them. At any rate, we lived in a Quonset hut, and, and for Christmas, my parents always used to, um, Santa Claus brought the unwrapped presents, and the wrapped ones were from aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. And everybody had their own area, like a chair. This is my chair, this is my brother's chair, whatever. And so we'd come down at Christmas time, and whoa, there's my chair, and we'd all go over to you know whatever area and and dive into the unwrapped gifts. And my area that year was a brand new red wagon, and um, I was thrilled to get the new red wagon because I hauled all my stuff around in my old wagon, and it was not you know, it had a hole in it, it rusted out. Anyway, I needed a new red wagon, and in the red wagon was my Christmas, and this is what I got for Christmas. I got a brand new dolly, the one I wanted. I don't know why I wanted it. I wanted it, that dolly. I got some paper dolls, which my brother was better at than I would, but I wanted them. <laughs> and I got a sack full of nails and my own tool belt. Aww. Now think about the, 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 the dichotomy of those gifts. I got my dolly, I got my paper dolls, I got a sack of nails, and I got my own tool belt. My dad was tired of me leaving his tools out, you know, to rot in the Hawaiian air. So I literally got a tool belt with my own hammer, my own screwdriver, my own pliers, and so on. I just remember being so happy that these gifts so matched me. This was just perfect. My new red wagon, the paper dolls, and my tool belt. When we think about the holidays, all of you have a moment, a gift, a something, and yet... You could match that, or maybe even flood that, with all kinds of other memories that maybe are not as, as, as wonderful or as warm. The, the term, the holidays, strikes stress in most people's uh, minds. When we say, oh, here come the holidays, there's a sense of anxiety, uh, both in men and women. The, the truth of the matter is, I've made a reference to the Holmes-Ray uh, stress scale before, and out of the 45 items that are listed on that scale, number 42 is the holidays. Um, many believe that the holidays is a time when there is a great deal of focus and, and unfortunately, a, a ton of mental health issues, particularly that, um, that suicide skyrockets during the holidays. That's actually a media-made-up uh, truth. Um, the holidays are not any worse for suicide. Most suicides actually happen in spring and early summer. It, it peaks in those months. But it's still a time of, of great uh, tragedy for many people. 
what are what are some of the sources of, of all that anxiety? Well, I thought of a few of them. One of them is expectations, and, the, and this is this is my worst thing in life is expectations. I I conjure up in my mind what I think an event, a, a, a moment, a, an activity, a, a season should look like, and and then when it doesn't for whatever reason, perhaps my own fault or someone else's. When it falls short of that expectations, then then I am all stressed out. Then I'm then I'm spinning like a like a top. Sometimes the expectations are from childhood that we had. We had a great childhood. We had a great holiday. There were a lot of warm and wonderful memories. The smell of chocolate chip cookies. The 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 the, the smell of cinnamon in your home. The the way certain things provoke your memories. Yeah, it sets expectations. So now, does my home look like that? Do, are my kids getting that, that memory? Does, do my chocolate chip cookies taste like my grandma's or whatever? Sometimes it's the reverse, though, in expectations. It's, you know, the childhood stuff we didn't have. So maybe, maybe there, was, there was sorrow or there was some false shorts or, or dad worked so hard there was no money or mom this or dad that or mom or dad weren't who they should be. And maybe the holidays don't, don't carry a certain allure and so we set expectations for my kids we're gonna have I remember that my mom I don't know if it was because of her childhood or where it came from but she was so darned and determined that every holiday would be perfect it was horrible (laughs) I mean horrible we couldn't wait for it to be over I mean, even a family activity, trying to get in the car. Somehow in her mind, she had this perfect thing. And, and, and by the time we got in the car, all we wanted to do was get out of the car. Mm-hmm. Holidays were not. So maybe, maybe expectations from the childhood you had or the childhood you wished you had. But expectations around the holidays set everything up. The tree's supposed to smell like this, and it dies three days later. <laughs> we don't control how quick those dumb trees die. <laughs> True? It happened to you. Mine wasn't three days, but it was not too long. I love the smell of Christmas trees. I fight every year to have a live tree and live wreaths on the inside of the door because I want the house to smell like that. But expectations, we don't control how quick the smell goes away. Um, we, don't, we, don't, we don't control how our children behave. We have this moment. We want to have this moment. When you sit them, and it's going to be lovely, and you're going to take that perfect picture. And what happened? <laughs> okay, you all know what happens. So expectations mess us up. Another one is comparisons. You know, we, we compare our home to the other homes down the street. They're decorated a certain way. Our house has to be decorated a certain way. The, the, the decorations inside the home, a friend stops by, she makes a comment of, you know, da-da-da, or you stop by her house, and she's got whatever it is, and then suddenly now the comparisons are going crazy. Or, or vacations. I, I was humorously flipping through Facebook yesterday <coughs> laughing about people that went on vacation over Thanksgiving vacation. And, and, you know, the can you top this, can you top that, can you top this, while we went, can you, whatever. Okay, that creates stress. What did we do? Watch football games. Red at a wonderful time. But comparison wise, you understand. You're, you're talking in church on Sunday. So, what did you guys do for the holidays? 
And you're just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> they went skiing in the Alps. I mean, you might have gone skiing. You didn't. You we went didn't sledding. Sledding. <laughs> falling. Mostly the falling. You did lots of falling. You know, but there's the, oh, you went to Tahoe. Great. Well, we went to Mammoth. Or maybe it would be the other way. I don't know. What would be the pecking order? Well, we went to Beckett, Breckenridge. You know, or we went to Vail. Or, well, we went to the Alps. I don't, can you top the Alps? I don't Big know. Bear. Big Bear tops the Alps. Okay. <laughs> or presents. You know, what are you getting for Christmas? Or what are your, what is your husband going to get you? Or what are you going to get your children? And the, and the one-upmanship happens. Or what are you serving for a meal? Well, we're going to have turkey, mashed potatoes, dressing, uh, green bean, and rolls, lots of olives because I can eat a can and a half myself. And I want the cranberry sauce, not the part with the little cranberries in it, but the jelly part. You know, but you go to somebody else's house and it's, well, our dressing has oysters in it. Oh. Well, who would put oysters in cranberry dressing? But it creates that, that, oh yeah, mine's just a plain. When I said something to Barbara about having people over Thanksgiving, she said, oh, our dressing is too plain. <laughs> She's not here, so I can make fun of her. Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute here. My, our dressing is too plain? If that's the way you like dressing, what's the big whoop? But somehow having oysters in there suggests a better cook or something. I, I don't know. But the comparison thing. Wanting, again, our kids to have maybe what we didn't have. You know, and, and the pressure that that puts on you to try to create this Norman Rockwell painting <coughs> picture of your family. Trying to get a huge meal like that out where everything is hot is virtually impossible. So to have that painting, you know, where they're all sitting around and it's all those dishes on and he's got the, you know, the instruments up and it's the perfect picture. That can't happen. That stuff's stone cold. By the time that one comes out and that one comes out. So so expectations, comparisons. It creates almost a, a, a special kind of, of exhaustion during the holidays. There's kind of a, 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 a dullness. A, uh, just get through it. We're not eating properly. We're not sleeping right. We don't rest appropriately. Everything gets jammed. And we're absolutely pressured by, by deadlines, the calendar and the clock. I mean, how, how many days left, are, you know, shopping days left? That's a, that's a pressure. Or how many, how many days until grandma shows up? The calendar, the kids know, it's only 14 days till grandma comes. Oh my gosh, the room's not done. We wanted to paint, we wanted to this. We wanted... The deadlines associated with the holidays create unbelievable stress. Everybody's with me, I know you are. Yes. So, so I want to talk about, by using four characters in the Bible stories, the Bible story of the birth of Jesus, uh, on, on how to handle some of, these, some of these stresses, some of these fears, some of these anxieties. And the first one I want to take out of the Christmas story is Mary herself. So go to Luke chapter 1. The, these, these fears that create this kind of anxiety, that it's not going to be the perfect Christmas, it's not going to be the perfect gift. My children are not perfect. My husband is not perfect. Our marriage is not perfect. The truth of the matter is it just isn't. And yet it creates an enormous amount of stress. Mary, the story of Mary starts in Luke chapter 1. 
and it begins with <coughs> Mary taking a visit to, to her cousin Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth is going to be the mother of John the Baptist. That's a story for another moment. But in, in, uh, in, in Luke chapter 1, the, the Bible says that Mary's going to have a, have a visit. Um, and let's start with, um, oh, about verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was very troubled at his words, wondered what kind of a greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Uh, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to name him or call him Jesus. He'll be great, be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In verse 34, she responds and says, Well, how will this be since I am a virgin? And then he answers, The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One will be born, who will be called the Son of God. Uh, then she answers in verse 38, I am uh, the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Now, Mary has a fear of inadequacy. She doesn't feel up to the job. During the holidays, um, I think that because of this expectation and comparison kind of stuff, and even the exhaustion, we have a tendency to feel like we're not up to the job. We're not making the right choices, where there's too much this or not enough that, the, the, the presents that we've chosen are not sufficient, your mom, your uncle, your brother-in-law, somebody's not going to like it. Um, there, is, there is the fear of inadequacy, that your, your dressing doesn't have oysters in it. You know, the, the truth of the matter is Mary's facing a, a, a serious set of inadequacies. She's, she's essentially saying, how can this be? Because uh, I'm a virgin. How am I going to bring forth the Son of God? How, th- how is this going to happen? And yet the angel calls her highly favored. And then down in verse 47 and verse 48... She's going to start a song. We call it the Magnificat. But notice, notice how things start to turn, turn here a little bit as she refers to herself in, in uh, verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She understood that she was in a unique position and a unique role. Every young woman from the time of the prophets until this, this time period wondered if they would be the one, the one who would actually be the virgin who would conceive and, and bring forth the, the Son of God, the Messiah. And when, when it's clear that it's her, her response is, I, I don't think so. How can this be? Uh, not me. You know, you and I have this same kind of fear all the time. We feel like we're not smart enough. Or, or we're not talented enough. Or we're not beautiful enough. We're not small enough. We're not, we're not educated enough. We're not a good enough cook. We're not a lovely enough uh, decorator of our home. Our, 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 our holiday is too plain. Our, our gift giving is, is too limited because of our, maybe the finances we have this year. And, it, and the list goes on and on and on. The fear of inadequacy floods the holidays. 
um, I, uh, we, we bought a couple of new chairs for the house, and therefore we had two, two chairs to give away, and they were both in, still in great condition. We just wanted a different kind of chair. And so I called a friend and said, hey, gee, can you use these chairs? And she said, yeah, I think we can. Uh, they're probably going to end up a, at the church in some offices. Anyway, um, she said, I can come by on Sunday afternoon. I'll grab some guys and, and whatever. And I said, oh, come on over. We'll, we'll feed you leftovers. And, and I watched Barb's face. <laughs> and, and when I hung the phone up, I said, who cares? Who cares? We've been wanting this gal to stop by. She's going to stop by. Whatever. So she showed up. They loaded the chairs. The guys went away. And I said, hey, you, you want a turkey sandwich? She said, I love one. She sat down and had what I would call a classic turkey sandwich. <laughs> White bread, plenty of mayonnaise, big old lettuce on there, you know, and a piece of pumpkin pie hidden in Cool Whip. And, and I mean... I had a lovely time with my friend. She had a perfectly lovely time as well. But if we had stopped at the look on old Barb's face, leftovers, you invited someone for leftovers? Why not? Why not? Would you rather have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with someone you really wanted to be with or a filet mignon with someone that's a jerk? <laughs> P, B, and J. <laughs> right? Life is not all that other stuff. When you go to someone's house, do you actually go around looking for dust bowls? Or do you make fun of them? I make fun of them. Hey, you missed under the cabinet. Give me the Swifter. I'll give you a hand. You know what? This business about the fear of inadequacy drives women crazy. We start with a, well, I should be a... Those other gals, they are, I ought to... I, I really wish I could. I wish I had. You see, what, what that says is we are feeling like everything depends on our performance. Cook clean, decorate, mothering, whatever. Does it really? Holly, are you perfect? Are you, I mean, just an unbelievable cook and an unbelievable decorator and an unbelievable wife and an unbelievable mother? No. <laughs> well, welcome to the crowd. So, so why do we act like we have to be? Can we invite somebody over for leftovers? Can we just enjoy each other? Can we laugh about the Swifter miss the corner? <laughs> See, I, I, I've said before, and, and I believe we all suffer from this, I'm a justa. I'm justa. I'm just a housewife. I'm just a mother. I'm just a sister. I'm justa. There is no justice in God's word. The response is that God has chosen you, placed you in your family with your children and your husband and your home, whether it's an apartment where, you know, 10 of you are in two rooms or it's a palatial mansion. Makes no difference whatsoever. You're not just a, you are whatever he's filled in the blank with. And you're at, at whatever stage. 
The other thing that's starting to happen, because a lot of my friends are my age, is that there's this aging thing. Well, I'm not an old lady. I'm not an old lady. I turned 70, granted, but I'm not an old lady. And I hope when I'm 95, I'm not an old lady. Now, I probably will be, and I, I ache like heck, and I'm not enjoying that at all. But I'm not, I'm just a, in any realm. When Esther started that, in Esther chapter 4, remember what, what the response was when, when her uncle says, no, you're the right one, you're the one that goes, needs to go in and talk to the king and, and plead on behalf of the, the Jews. He says to her, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Look, you all came to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, and your husband is your husband, and your children are your children. Funky as they are. <laughs> right? And your house, bless God, is your house. And your possessions are your possessions, and your gifts are your gifts. And your turkey and stuffing is your turkey and your stuffing. What is the answer to this, the fear of inadequacy that Mary is showing? I think the answer is she needs to speak the gospel to herself. You say, well, why would you say speak the gospel to herself? Isn't the gospel the good news that Jesus came and died, was buried and rose again the third day? Don't we share that with unbelievers? Yes, we do. But I need to hear the gospel every single day because it's a reminder that everything I have, starting with my salvation, is undeserved. Everything I have is unearned, unearnable, meaning it wasn't ultimately mine. I, I, I cannot repay God for his grace. And all of it was unconditional. I need to hear the gospel every single day. Because otherwise I begin to think it actually depends on, depends on me. It does not. Most people in this room are two or three paychecks away from being homeless. Think about that for a second. So, so it doesn't depend on us. It depends on the grace of God. Children go south every day. It doesn't necessarily depend on us. Yes, we have a role to play as parents. But ultimately, children make their own decisions. We need God on a regular basis. We need the gospel to be preached to us. When the fears of inadequacy start, we need to say, wait a minute. If I buy into that, it's because I actually think that I can perform at some level. And yes, very talented people are looking at me right now. Very smart, very wise. Very good moms. This is a good crowd. But the bottom line is, you don't control your health. You don't control your husband's health. You don't control what happens in your neighborhood. We have fires in Southern California. Down in San Clemente, I, I realize I'm about a half a mile away from destruction. We don't control that stuff. Why do we think we do? You might make a dish 12 times and 11 times it's perfect. But the 12th time, your oven decided to be funky. I was at a house with someone over the holidays and she put her turkey in 12 hours before and I'm thinking, ooh, that's going to be a little dry. Oh my <laughs> and she said, no, I have a funky oven. I know how it works. Okay. It was delicious, by the way. We don't control our ovens. 
in my little area, they're doing some stuff with the utilities, and they turn off electricity and gas every now and then. Well, what, what if, you know, you get the perfect meal, and you shove it in the oven, and they turn off the gas? You guys are following my point. Mary's fears of inadequacy were, were unfounded. I shoulda, I coulda, I oughta, this, this holidays, ignore them. Ignore them. You want cornbread stuffing without oysters, have cornbread stuffing without mm-hmm. oysters. You with me? There's another, another set of fears that show up. Joseph, her, her husband. You need to go to Matthew chapter 1 for that one. What's, Matthew, what's, uh, what's Joseph afraid of? Well, what you and I know, because we've been around Christendom for a while, is that in order for a child to be born out of wedlock, there were immediate repercussions in the Jewish culture. In Deuteronomy 17, chapter, chapter 22, chapter 23, if there was adultery, uh, it required immediate stoning. If a girl showed up pregnant while she was uh, espoused to her husband, which just means they had gone through the formal, yes, I will take her, yes, I'll trade you for four cows. If there had been the, you know, we're, we're engaged, the, it was as if they're married, and if the girl showed up pregnant, their only response was, for the girl to be stoned. And and here comes Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. Now this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged, espoused, engaged, to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, before they had sexual relations, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because her husband was faithful to the law, he knew the repercussions in Deuteronomy 17, 22, 23, but he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace slash stoning. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, what's his fear? His fear is ridicule and disapproval. Now, let's say he let it happen. They found out she was pregnant. It wasn't by him. He's off the hook. She's going to be stoned. And the entire village they're from, for the rest of his life, is going to look at him like, yeah, right. Such disapproval, such shame, such ridicule. So what what does he do? In in chapter 1, drop down to verse 24, it says he wants to divorce her quietly. The Lord appeared to him in a dream. He responds to the dream. And verse 24 says, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's some serious... Uh, you know, adjusting in his heart. His entire life, his culture, has, has, a, has a, a series of activities that you do when you're going to get married. And having your espoused wife show up pregnant and it's not you, you can't consummate the marriage. What, what do we do? Uh, uh, that, that, that weight, that, that pressure, that fear of being disapproved, Disapproval is a is a horrible weight. What 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 is the worst thing that can happen to a Christian at, at Christmas time? One who takes a, a stand for Christ, lets their neighbors know that it's not happy holidays, it's Merry Christmas, that talks about the birth of Jesus and why that the baby came to die. What what's the worst that will happen to us? Somebody gives us a funny look. Or somebody outright says, well, we, we, don't, we don't speak that. 
or we, we, we're a little more inclusive in our holidays. That's, the, that's about the worst. I looked it up yesterday. 4,305 people this year were martyred for their faith. Martyred. Most of them a horrible death. Over 3,000, 3,150 people were arrested without a trial and stuck in some godforsaken hole, never to be heard from again. And somebody might look at us funny. The fear of disapproval is huge. What does James say in chapter 1? He starts in verse 2. Consider it all joy whenever you fall into various trials. We don't want trials. We don't want any kind of disapproval. We don't want anybody to ridicule us. The fear of, of somebody making fun of us is huge. Go upstairs and talk to the junior hires. It's the number one issue. Don't make me stick out. That's why junior high is so awful for everyone. And you're all nodding your heads. We all remember junior high. This fear of disapproval was, was, was serious for Joseph. And yet, he responded and said, okay, I'll do what the Lord said. I think the gospel needs to be a, a present response during the holidays. A while back, I talked about having your testimony ready. And we talked about writing it out. Would you like to know how many of you have written it out and submitted it to me for editing? <laughs> None. <coughs> Zero. Now, I'd like to think you found somebody else and they helped you with it. But I'm going to guess. And then we talked about having the elevator version. Remember? Remember what the elevator version was? What was the point of the elevator version? Anybody remember? It's short. Short. So you can say it in all kinds of situations. And I gave you an example. You know, I'm checking out of a, a grocery store, and then I guess I was humming. And so the gal said to me, gee, why are you so happy? <laughs> I need my elevator version, right? <laughs> I need the gospel in, you know, three sentences or less. So, so let's write one right there. What's the elevator gospel for the gal who says, gee, how come you're so happy? Let's get a couple. Lord Jesus has forgiven my sins. There really is a reason for this season. What else? Give me another one. Okay. We want to get a little more specific about the gospel. My relationship with Jesus Christ has me so blessed today. What's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to go, oh. You might even hear, one of those. One of those. Can we wear that as a red badge of courage? I mean, if Joseph's going to put up with a, a very difficult situation, surely we can go speak the gospel to, to somebody. You know, the Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That includes the lady at the store who says, how come you're so happy? If you just say, oh, I don't know, 
You missed a, you know, a, a, a moment. Um, there are going to be tons of moments around Christmas time. Everybody's singing hymns. They don't know they're singing hymns, but they're singing hymns. There are lots of opportunities in your neighborhood. And we're waving at someone. Hi, whoever it is. Ah, Mr. Graham. It's a tour. Any, any opportunity to mess with me, I know. But especially during the holidays. One thing, yeah, one thing I notice is every once in a while you'll actually hear a Christian hymn like yes. piped in. And like I've been, at, you know, paying or whatever, standing in line and saying, you know what? It's really nice that they're still playing, you know, a Christian song because that I am a Christian and that means something to me. Perfect. Yeah. But it just it really does make me happy when I hear that because I feel like he's still getting in there. You know, like you said, people might not even know what it is, but to still, you know, hear something with a Christian message. In a and there's sense. so much in the Christian story in the story of Christ's birth that can quickly be a bridge to a neighbor, uh, to a friend, to, to someone you know. Uh, a, a conversation at a Christmas party can easily go to the Christmas scene. Um, and, and, and one of my favorite ways to get it there is the swaddling clothes. Y'all know swaddling clothes? The Bible says that he was wrapped in, in whatever swaddling clothes. You know what swaddling clothes are? They're grave clothes. Every Jewish, good Jewish home would have a pile of them in the corner, about four inches thick, uh, pieces of cloth. And when a body died, they didn't embalm them. They would wrap them and stick spices in between so they wouldn't stink so bad until they actually had the, the time to stick them in a crypt somewhere. So swaddling clothes were what was available to wrap the baby Jesus in. Well, what a great opportunity to talk about the manger scene. Somebody says something about the manger scene. Hey, did you notice the swaddling clothes? What are swaddling clothes? See, he was born to die. Born to die. That's my favorite thing to do at Christmas if I have people there in my home that do not know the Lord. I tell the Christmas story, but I take an old sheet and I sit there and tear it while I'm telling the story. And I have the kids help me tear it. We tear this sheet up. And while we're tearing the sheet up, I tell the Christmas story, and then we wrap the baby Jesus in the swaddling clothes. And I look at all the adults in the room and say, he was born to die. I mean, there are lots of opportunities to get past the fear of a little bit of disapproval. Let's go to another one, Zechariah. Zechariah, back in Luke chapter 1, you might notice that there are two places where the Christmas story shows up. Matthew 1 and Luke 1. Back in Luke 1, uh, John the Baptist's father is Zechariah. Now, Zechariah was a, was a priest. He was working in the temple area. Now, at this time and in this area, there were about 18,000 priests, and they were divided into 24 groups. And, and each group served in the temple twice a year. So it's a big deal when it's your group's time to come work in the temple. And then when it's your group's time... They would cast lots. Uh, imagine like, like dice or little rocks with symbols on them. And they would roll the rocks and then on the basis of what rolled up, they would make a choice about who actually got to go in to the holy place and light the, either the candles or the incense burners. And so when, it, when the lot was cast and, and it was you, this is a really big deal. First off, you're only in temple service two weeks a year and now it's you that gets to go in and, and light the incense. And that's what's happening to Zechariah. 
in chapter 1, verse number 12, it says he, he gets startled and he gets gripped with fear. His fear is the fear of the unexpected. So in chapter 1, verse number 12, it says, um, uh, well, let me back up to verse 11. Luke 1, 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you, you will call him John. And he's going to be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his life. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's not going to drink wine. He's not going to... Uh, be, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, in verse 18, Zechariah says to the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. He's saying it is not physically possible for us to have children. His fear is of the unexpected. It is not expected that his wife is going to be with child, much less that this child child would be the focus of so many of the Old Testament prophecies becoming John the Baptist himself. The unexpected is you're old, so is your wife. But God's going to use you. God's going to give you a son. And, and, and this child is going to have an amazing, amazing opportunity to do great things for God. So, so what's his response? Okay, kind of, but I'm not sure. And God lets, lets him be quiet. He goes mute for the, the time of his wife's pregnancy. And we see the story about Elizabeth and, and, and Mary discussing the birth of their, both of their children. And in the end, yes, he is able to speak and, and tells what his name should be and so on and so forth. But the fear of the unexpected, I'm not expected to have a child. Now, the thing that's important here is to just notice that there was, there was a great story to tell. I mean, if the gospel needs to be preached to us and the gospel needs to be preached to other people, when people are concerned about unexpected things, an unexpected loss, uh, an unexpected uh, work situation, an unexpected move, an unexpected health situation, we need to be ready to speak words of life into people's lives. You know, you need to be ready to have have some 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 comfort and encouragement ready. Second Timothy chapter four says you need to be ready to preach the word. Be prepared to share not only your testimony but words of encouragement. When people when when the unexpected happens, particularly in the holidays, people are devastated. Uh, I, I remember uh, several friends' deaths that were around this time of the year. And I, and I kept saying to God, God, why in December? For the rest of their lives, they're going to remember the death of, of da-da-da-da because, because it's during the holidays. With children getting sick, having to be in the hospital over holidays, a, a diagnosis that you hide until after January 1st because you don't want to tell anybody. There are all kinds of unexpected things that devastate people during the holiday. And you and I need to be ready to have words of encouragement Go spend some time in the book of Psalms and, and, and say, Lord, give me a psalm, a psalm of encouragement that I can be ready, that I can share with someone during this time. And I want to give you one more, one more guy, one more fear. And this one's Herod. Back to Matthew 1. Actually, Matthew 2. Herod's the king. 
Now, uh, the politics of the day were amazing, and you, you ought to go do a little reading on Herod and his family. They are an amazing group of whatevers. But Herod got his position, became king of the Jews. He's not really a Jew, but he faked it. Um, and, and the Romans let him have that title and let him, let him have control because he was, he was a scoundrel. Uh, he overtaxed people so that the Romans could have more money. Um, he was willing to do anything to consolidate his, his power. He was married and had a son, and there was a better uh, situation that if he married into it would, would help his career, and so he dumped his wife and son and immediately went with that. He was ruthless. He was a brilliant builder, uh, and, and much, of, much of the stuff that you can see in Israel today was built by, by Herod the Great. He's a, he's a remarkable guy, but all he wanted to do was consolidate his control. That's, everything to Herod was the, the consolidating of the control that he had in that region. But look in Matthew chapter 2. So in Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, Magi... Or another word for that, wise men we use, um, the actual same word shows up in the book of Daniel and is translated sorcerers or, or, or uh, diviners, people who could tell truth without it being known to them from, from normal sources. And so he, he, he has a visit from some of these guys who came to, to Jerusalem and they ask, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Now, how do you think good old King Herod felt it, with these visiting dignitaries who are looking for a different king. Whoa, whoa, I'm the king. My entire life has been spent consolidating in my power, being who I am. This is, this is important. I'm the king. What do you mean you're looking for the king? He is, he is very much in fear of losing control. He, he is wanting to make sure that his position, his power, his money... His influence were all in good shape, and they're not. And he realizes it. He's shaken to the core. He is fearful of, of losing control. And I would suggest to you that during the holidays, that fear of losing control gets accentuated in our lives. None of us like the idea or the thought of being dependent or, or at the whim of someone else or needing help. I'm... We are the John Waynes of the, of the universe. I can do it myself. We don't need any help. Really? See, I think that's a facade. If you have little bitty kids, you need all the help you can get. Oh my goodness. Just for sanity's sake. If you got teenage girls, you need all the help you can get. <laughs> Find an, an older woman who's been through it. Oh my goodness, you need to buy her coffee. Find out, is there life after 16? <laughs> and yes, there is. You know, if, if you have a rebellious son at any age, you, 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 need, you, need, you need help. You need help. Hey, sweetie. You need help all the time. It is inevitable. And, and, and just the idea of growing old, or older, as I used to say to Brianna. She'd look at somebody and go, he's old. No, he's older. <laughs> when, when you look at passages like John 21, in John 21, verse 18, it says, there's going to be a time when, or there was a time when you dressed yourself, and there's going to be another time when you need help dressing. 
Okay, there is. It's coming. My right leg won't bend enough for me to put my own socks on or tie my right shoe. And, I, and I'm only 70, and I can't tie that shoe. I need a little help. So if you see me walking around with my right shoe untied, help me tie my shoe. There's coming a time when, when all of us, physically or mentally or emotionally, are going to need help. Herod was afraid of losing control. And during the holidays, we just get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter as if that's going to control it all. But once again, it's the gospel that's going to make the difference. In Isaiah 46, verse number 4, it says, Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. When you're feeling like, oh my goodness, you're losing control, whether that's the planning over a meal or, or the gift selections or what the house will look like or, or what you're doing as a family, when fear rears its ugly head um, uh, this holiday, I, I want you to rebuff it with the, with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I gave you a little worksheet, so go to the little worksheet. Got the little worksheet? I did this with my own hands. Can you tell? No secretarial support at home. Psalm 56, verse number 4. 4 and 5 were my most recent memory work as I was doing my uh, little uh, Mr. Chuckles problems and trying to get down to South America or Central America. Fear was a, a big, big issue uh, the last few months in my life. And so... Psalm 56, verse number 4 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Now, at first glance, okay, that's a good, good kindergarten Sunday school verse. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Period. So, so the box is, here's what I want you to do. So you start with, when I am afraid. So, so pick something or some scenario, perhaps associated with holidays, perhaps not, when, when you are afraid. What does that look like? So I'll give you some examples. So uh, over those stupid lizards, when I am afraid... Um, lizards. Yes, stupid <laughs> lizards. Don't make fun of my lizards. When, when I am afraid, I get a lump in my throat. I'm ready to cry. When I am afraid, I don't want to sleep. All I, all I can do is think about what it's going to be like when they're crawling on the rough. When I am afraid, I avoid scenarios, situations, corners, houses, Hawaii, El Salvador. When I am afraid, uh, I, I don't want to talk. I am frozen. When I am afraid, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So when you are afraid in whatever your situation is, what, what does it look like? What do you, what do you feel like? What, what's going on? When I am afraid, I shut down. I crawl in the house and nobody sees me for a week. When I'm afraid, I get angry. When I'm afraid, I cry. When I'm afraid, I'm impatient. When I'm afraid, I lash out. I don't know what yours are. Probably different for different scenarios. But, but this, is, this, is a good t this is a good thing for you to sit and do. So when I'm afraid, here we go. This is what it looks like. Second box. I put my trust in you. What, what, what do you mean I put my trust in you? What, is my, what does that mean? I choose to think about him. I remember his faithfulness. I think about what it's like. 
when I'm whole and not lavished or ravished with uh, ravished with with fear. I put my trust. What does that mean? I review some scripture. I I I turn on certain music. I I put my trust. What does that look like? How does that work for you? And then the last box, I put my trust in you. Who's the you? So you say, well, God. Okay, but at that moment when you're afraid, is he shepherd? Is he El Shaddai? Is he almighty? Is he awesome? Is he the creator? Is he the lover of your soul? Is he the all-knowing one? You kind of got my drift here? So you could do one of these every single day. You could get up every single day and say, Today, I'm a little afraid of losing control. Today, I'm a little afraid of being inadequate. Today, I'm a little afraid somebody's going to make fun of me. Today, I'm a little afraid uh, of the unexpected. And, 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 and what does it feel like? Put them down in a little box. I put my trust in you. What does that look like? Do I memorize some new scripture? Do I listen quietly to some great music? Do I call a friend who's going to direct my attention? What do I do? And, and in whom am I looking? What does he look like? What aspect, a- attribute will I, will I bring up? And my prayer is that if you do that, some of these ugly fears that rear their ugly heads during the holidays, we will deal with them and not let them overwhelm us. Enjoy family and friends. Enjoy that that gift that you just can't wait to see your kid's face when you hand it to them. Enjoy, you know, dressing without oysters. <laughs> That's great. Father, it is, a, it is a time when fear and anxiety do rule many of our lives. And we get spun up. Oh my goodness, we get spun up. And so our discussion today is to say, no, huh? that when I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust you for things and for words and for time. And I will not allow my world, my children, my family, my home, my heart to go amok. Satan loves that. And instead, I will deal with these fears. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.